Can you stand up here? This is our third uh, service, and uh, I got warmed up in the morning services, so I feel really uh, ready to go. Uh, I preach all over the world, and sometimes when I'm at a conference, sometimes for several days, uh, God just puts it on my heart to uh, present this global jacket, which means so much to many of us, uh, to someone as an expression of appreciation for what they are doing for global missions, which of course has been the passion of my life since almost my conversion. And so uh, at this time, I'd like one of your helpers to come up just uh, for a minute and just hold this microphone because I want to present this global jacket to Colin Dye. It's a large size, it'll fit. Thank you, Colin, for what you've done for global missions. Hallelujah. Let's pray, Father. We pray for even greater anointing and greater vision for the nations. I'm not sure if that's possible, but we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, we've got a lot of books. I think we saw more books go out this morning than almost any church meeting uh, we've ever had in Great Britain, and I've been doing this for 50 years. So my co-workers went back to our uh, literature base over in Forest Hill. We'd love you to visit there. Then you really can get a lot of free books. 39 Honor Oak Road, Forest Hill. And they brought more books. So we want to bless everyone with at least two or three free books. If you could just, unlike some of the morning people, just slow down a little bit. Uh, you know, I read an article recently, and it really hit me between the eyes, that we're such an in-hurry uh, generation. So maybe just fellowship in here a little bit with different people, uh, but try not to miss uh, the book table. Of course, the, the second service in the morning is so huge. Uh, many people just gave up. But we'd love to give you a number of books completely uh, free. One of them is Why Pro-Life, this very important book on this subject of abortion, very sensitive, well-written book. And Randy Alcorn has done about 30 books. This historic uh, book on revival and reality and brokenness and humility, just used of God, 80 languages. It's being given as a gift. We've got some New Testaments. Uh, sort of leftover from the millennium year, but they're still, still the word of God, and people accept them. Uh, during the millennium, I not only went around giving these out in London, I, I just went around losing them. You know, some English people, they're more relaxed to find something than you to push it into their nose. I'm sure you've never met any of those types. But uh, praise God, in the New Testament, we're publishing more of those right now. And your own bookstore have copies. This is a hard book to get a hold of. They have copies of Operation World. Uh, this is now considered probably the greatest missions book of all times with prayer requests. It's in the form of praying through for a whole year. Over a million of all the different editions. The last 40 years, 35 years have been going out. But this is updated. Uh, this is a gold mine of Christian uh, material. So this is a chance uh, to get that. 
uh, there at your own bookstore. I think you've already been pushing my book out of the comfort zone and using this uh, in the church. It's very encouraging. Here's another one of the books that we're uh, giving free. Just a little bit easier to read. Stories of Global Missions by different authors. Just pick one up as a gift. And we have lots of copies of the Jesus DVD. Multi-language. There's about 15 languages on that little piece of plastic and disc. This is a fantastic tool. Pick up a sample. We have just purchased 40,000 more of the Jesus DVD. We're ready to supply them to people that want to reach London. A million Muslims alone in this giant city. And the DVD is one of the ways uh, to reach them. Now, there's a lot of other books that we don't have so many of. And you get one of these bags, I think, free as well. And they're for a donation. And we don't want to be beat by the dollar shop or the pound shop. So even if you leave one pound. So ask them at the table. Uh, You'll meet Andrew Day as my present helper on the year program, job description, anything, anywhere, anytime. Please meet him. He's in his final month. And he's made it. Imagine living with me for a whole year. I remember when my wife years ago looked at me and said, you know, darling, I love you, but looking at you makes me feel tired. (laughs) So anyway, we're still trying to sort that out. But some of the things uh, there on the table include some fantastic DVDs. There's that Jesus film for children. Use these tools. You all have a ministry. Through using DVD and books, you can double your ministry without you know, a super amount of effort. And so this is a great opportunity, and we hope uh, you'll visit us someday in Forest Hill. Meet Mike Van Voren. He's out there as well, our team leader. There's 6,000 of us in OM now. By the way, I have not been the leader for the last 10 years, which has really been great. And I just thank God that uh, there's no retirement program for kingdom people. Did you see that interview with uh, Richard Branson? A bit of a successful character, no? Humanly speaking. And I wish more Christians would sometimes listen to people in the world because sometimes they have some nuggets. They asked him about retirement. Richard Brownson, you know what he said? You know, I've never really considered what I've been doing as work, and so how am I going to retire? If a non-Christian business guy can say that, how much those of us who are serving Jesus... Of course, we have to make changes. I'm already planning how to operate without getting out of bed. With my laptop, my BlackBerry, and a phone, I can be in touch pretty well with all the nations of the world. So there's no retirement program. Not many older people here this evening, but you can share that. Uh, A lot of elderly people, they need a little bit of a jab. Don't be intimidated by them. Just, you know, go straight for it and then run. Uh, But challenge them about using the senior years in global evangelism. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every person. That's what missions is about. It's not a missionary thing. It's not even a church thing. Of course, it is in another way. But first of all, it's a Jesus thing. And so if you're starting to get excited about global missions during this missions month, then I'm sure God 
loves that, is, is appreciative of that. And it's so important. It doesn't mean you have to immediately go to some mission field. The first step is to take it into your heart. Take it into your DNA. Begin to pray for the nations. Pick up that book, Operation World. Say to the Lord, I'm going to pray through that. Just a little bit of time each day. And many people have testified that book, together with the Word of God, has transformed their lives. I wish I could give all of you a free copy. I'm still going to pay for the books uh, that I gave away last week, so I'm trying to put the brakes on. So that is one of the ones uh, you have to purchase from your own bookstore. And now we're going to look into the Word of God. I'm here because of Jesus, but I'm here also to be honest because I believe the Bible is God's Word. I based my whole life on it shortly uh, after my conversion. And though, especially when I studied under agnostics and people who attacked the Christian faith, some of them had some pretty clever arguments at the university I was. And when I studied in the University of Mexico, some of them were communists. But somehow, partly through the testimony of Billy Graham and his acceptance of the Word of God, when one of his best friends, Chuck Templeton, there's a whole book about this now, departed from the Word of God at that time and became one of Canada's most outspoken enemies of the Christian faith. But when he was together with Billy Graham, he was considered a greater evangelist than Billy Graham. But as Billy Graham made that decision, despite maybe some intellectual struggles he had with certain passages and some of the arguments that were coming heavy uh, from different directions, as Billy Graham took this as God's word, it was within the next year or two that things really began to happen in this man's life. And I thank God because it was through his ministry that I came to know Jesus. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 9 as I just share uh, my testimony based on this passage of Scripture. The Lord Jesus went out into uh, all the towns and villages, verse 35, sharing and preaching the gospel. Let's read it. Matthew 9, 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in the synagogue, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. I love that picture of the motivation. God is always concerned about our motivation. And I search my heart, even when I come. Though I may be preached over 20,000 times, I, I search my heart that every time I share the word of God, my motivation may be in God's hand. It may be the right motivation. Jesus was moved with compassion on them. There were crowds like, harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest, the harvest is, is truly plenteous, but the workers are few. There was a lady near my high school that really believed this, a woman of prayer. By the way, if you want to live your own selfish life, whatever you do, avoid women of prayer. You know, even when you go to church, like, don't sit near them and don't let them get your name. This woman got my name. I wasn't from a Christian home, though. I think my family was, was seeking. They were trying. And my dad's 
father, both from the Netherlands, across the water. He was an atheist. And so my dad was confused, and so he didn't go to church. But then my mother put some pressure on him to go to a church which had turned away from the Bible, as many of our churches in America in the 40s and the 50s turned away from the Bible. And that's when God gave people like Billy Graham and dozens of others a, a stronger voice. And I believe one of the, the reasons God so blessed the Pentecostal charismatic movement that was spreading across the world a lot more a bit after that period is because of its strong stance, the Bible is the word of God. That same position that this lady took who prayed for me. And so, of course, she was involved in missions. She was in contact with missionaries all over the world. One of her sons went as a missionary in Africa. Another one went as a missionary in the Philippines from her own children. And her home was near my high school. And I came into that school uh, like a little ungodly tornado. And uh, even within the first six months, they voted on who's, you know, who are the hot people in the freshman class? Best looking, of course, not me. Best dancer, well, almost. And boy, you know, when you're a freshman, you want to get your name in print. And there it was. Who's who in the freshman class? The bottom of the list. George Verwer, class clown. Ah! <laughs> but before I was done with that high school, I was the president of the student council because God got involved. Because that lady got involved whose son was president of the school, the student government when he was a senior and influenced me because he carried a Bible. i never seen anyone carrying a Bible into the gym, the most foul-mouthed place in the entire high school. And I had a mouth that was like a sewer. And I met this guy who didn't swear. At 12, I was going to produce a little tiny dictionary of curses, blasphemes, and swear words. And at 15, I moved into the world of pornography and thought maybe I'd start selling it. I'm glad I decided not to do that. And then I got in a little trouble with the police. I was breaking into a house, and the police caught me. I wasn't really stealing anything. I was just doing my thing and looking around. And somehow, this lady got my name and put my name on her Holy Ghost hit list. <laughs> Not only that, she sent me then a Gospel of John through the post. And I began to read this little book. Literally, one minute I was into porno, not sort of the heavy stuff that's so common in, in, in this day, but sort of just these so-called girly magazines, but it was heavy enough for my soul. And the next minute I'd be reading this Gospel of John. As many as received him, to them he gives power to become the sons of God. There was a battle going on in my life, life and death. Darkness and life, heaven or hell. When this spiritual tornado blew into New York City right near my home, the Billy Graham tornado. It was just a one-night meeting. And I thank God, a guy on my street, I had my own little gang, I didn't even like this guy. And uh, I was into art, by the way. Another guy who, who I didn't like, I went down to his house with black paint and Big letters on the side of his house, S-H-I-T. And um, that didn't go over too good with my father when the girl next door, who I thought was my friend, uh, squealed on me. So I ended up having to repaint the house. But anyway, I didn't like this guy either. And this guy invited me to a Billy Graham meeting. I hardly knew what that's about. I thank God for him. He's been my friend ever since. 
He went with Wycliffe Bible translators later on. And so I went to this Billy Graham meeting, also a business person. The story has never been written of how business people have been so key in global missions. Oftentimes churches, not this church, but many churches, after they pay their bills and all the other things, they don't have any money left over for global missions. Many young people have wanted to go into missions. It never happened because the church couldn't and wouldn't support them. And for 57 years in missions, I've seen God raise up business people who have made it happen for global missions. And I thank the Lord for business people that I've been involved with since almost the day of my conversion. This man gave me a free seat on the bus, on the coach, into New York City. I was big into free things. If it's free, hey, I'll take it. Ask questions later. So I'm in this Billy Graham meeting, 20,000 people. And I hear this clear gospel message. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Porque de tal manera amó Dios al mundo, que ha dado su hijo unigénito para que todo en él cree. No se pierda, mas tenga vida eterna. Any Spanish speakers here? I think they all came in the morning service. A lot of people speak Spanish here in London. Let's reach them, especially from the land of Spain where... There's not been a big response to the gospel after it opened up. I lived there when it was closed under Franco. Anyway, that's a different story. So that night, I heard the gospel, and I believed on Jesus. I walked forward in front of 20,000 people, and I began to weep as the Spirit of God invaded my life. And I just thank Jesus. This has been a reality. This has been a reality every single day. Some of you are young Christians. You've got that fire. You've got that zeal. And the enemy's saying, hey, this can't last. This can't last. And then someone else comes along and says, hey, everybody's going to the wilderness for a while. Someone else comes along. You know, everybody's got to get depressed for a while. Everybody's got to backslide for a while. Then, then you come back to Jesus later on. And I know that's the testimony of many people. I've seen at least 150,000 in my own meetings who, were, who had drifted away. They loved Jesus. They drifted away. They grew cold. And I've seen them stand up or come forward to come back to Jesus. So that is some people's testimony. And I thank the Lord when I see that happen. My own testimony by the grace and mercy of God, the power of his word, and the people praying for me is that by his grace every day since my conversion, the fire has been there. The love the reality, the grace of Christ. Not in the absence of doubts and struggles and stupidity. I have a natural stupidity streak. But in the midst of those things, repenting, humbling myself, apologizing, and claiming God's grace to press on. As this book so influenced my life in the message of the cross, the reality of the Holy Spirit, and Jesus living in our lives. So I was what some people from John chapter 3 say, born again. I want to ask you, have you been born again? If not, maybe tonight is your night. Maybe you've just drifted in here because the music sounds good. Maybe you've drifted in here because you spotted a girl uh, that just blew your circuits and you wanted to follow her in. But I tell you, the important thing tonight is that you know God, that you know Jesus. And there may be only one or two in that situation, but I I feel you're very important. And there are people here who would love 
to talk to you and show you from the Word of God how you can be sure of your salvation. Within a few days, I remember walking across the school field to get the bus to the high school. Somehow, because of something I had been reading, I got the assurance. Somehow, I got the assurance I'm saved for eternity. And that stuck with me all these amazing years. God's grace. I love this passage of Scripture. Would you pray to the Lord of the harvest that he'll send forth workers? It's hard to give this message in London because I'm a London person now, 51 years here, and I still can't speak the language properly. That produces some degree of humility. But it's, it's hard to give this message in London because, in a sense, the mission field is here. The mission field is here. And London, because so many of the people who come here speak English. You know, I've just come from Russia. How many people in Russia do you think speak English? Not many. But the people who come here from all over the world, even from Russia, after a period of time, they're speaking English. It's an open door. English has become the lingua franca of the world today. China can't get enough English teachers. North African countries can't get enough English teachers. Many of our people get visas into closed countries teaching English. Others go in as students. Many of ours, even, uh, even in places like Kabul, Afghanistan, that's how they get their visa. They're usually very slow students. It takes them many years before they graduate. And meanwhile, they're ambassadors of Jesus. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Turn with me now to Luke chapter 10. I so appreciate the little extra time you give in this church for ministry. Who knows when I'll have this privilege again. And my heart is so full, and I believe God has put these things on my heart to pass on to you. I'm at that age when I need to pass on what God has given me through thousands of men and women, through at least a thousand different books, through studying the Word of God almost every single day, through traveling in about 90 or 100 nations of the world. I want to pass on this legacy, and I just thank God for a little extra time. I love Anglican churches. I've preached in, uh, I guess, more of those than almost any one church in Britain because there's so many of them. But they, they generally often like the sermons very short. i never forget one vicar came to me and said, uh, look, uh, normally uh, you get 19 minutes here for the sermon. I just felt so disheartened. And I said, look, I don't know your people. I'm cold turkey here. I need a little extra time to share what's on my heart. And I'll never forget, he looked at me he said, of course, that's why we, this morning, are giving you 21 minutes to share the Word of God. Somehow that stuck in my heart over all these years. I've had difficult experiences because I'm known as the longest preacher in the whole of Europe, especially in Germany. Germany, one of my favorite countries, is in my top 50 nations. And I was in Germany, and I guess I was going on about an hour and a half because I had an interpreter. And it was young people. They were listening. They were even taking notes, some of them. But one older man in the back, he, he took his watch off and started uh, pointing at his watch. I was speaking about missions, the need to pray, the need to go, the need to give. 
And I saw him holding his watch up. I stopped the meeting. I said, folks, praise God. Look at this man. God's touched his heart. He's donating his watch for world missions. Anyway. So thank you. Thank you, Colin and the Holy Spirit for giving me this extra time because this message is very much on my heart. Luke 10 is one of those passages that radically changed my life. But only in the last 10 years. How can that be? I was already 60 when this passage hit me so hard. Let's look at it. We first of all have the first two commandments. Verse 27. Answering this uh, lawyer, this expert in the law, verse 25, comes up to Jesus. He asks, what must I do to get eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. I'd love to stop right there and preach for five hours because those verses are so important. But that's not the thrust of this message. You've answered correctly, Jesus responded. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. And so he asked Jesus. And this is one of the most important questions in the New Testament. Who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Instead of Jesus giving him a great theological explanation that we're so good at, he tells him a story. I hope you tell stories. So he tells the story of a man who's going down Jerusalem to Jericho, verse 30. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes. They beat him. They went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happens to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man... He passed by on the other side. What a powerful message that is. Religion without reality. Religion without love. Religion without action. I think of the book of James. Be not hearers of the word only, but doers. I think of that prophetic statement of C.S. Lewis, who said we have the tendency to think but not to act. We have the tendency to feel but not to act. And if we keep thinking and feeling without acting, someday we will be unable to act. I feared that years ago. And therefore, each day, try to seek ways that I can be a doer of the word. A doer of the word. Putting in practice what I read in the word of God. Let's go on. Another man comes along the road. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. So strong. But a Samaritan. Now here comes our hero. But have you ever thought how weird this is? For this man to be chosen as our hero? He's a Samaritan. They're scum. Jews have no dealing with them. They're like the Dalits of India that I go around the world talking about. They're untouchable. They must not even come across my shadow. They must not drink from my well. It's hard to believe that's still going on in the modern world. The greatest cover-up, perhaps in the history of the world, is the cover-up that these Dalits, they're fine. 200 million of them 
are living in a form of slavery. And praise God now, many voices, many voices are raised up. Films are hitting our cinemas, exposing this great deception. And as we saw freedom from slavery, and we saw freedom from apartheid, and we saw freedom from segregation, I saw it with my own eyes in my own nation of birth. I believe we're going to see the freedom of the Dalit people in the coming years. Meanwhile, tens of thousands are coming to Jesus. In OM alone, we have 3,000 churches now. We can't keep up with the numbers coming. But of course, there's 200 million of them. So just in the Spirit of God, the Lord Jesus choosing a Samaritan to be our hero is a message. It's a message. I know sometimes when you hear a sermon, and I was sort of taught this by somebody, there should be one main point. Just to warn you, I have many main points. Because the Holy Spirit is going to minister to different people in different ways in this church of such a variety of people. So you have to take what God is ministering to you about and not worry about something that maybe it's just not God's time for you to grasp fully what that's about, like what I just shared in regard to the Dalits. So the Good Samaritan is our hero. He sees the man, and he helps him out. Let's read. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he was moved with compassion, or he took pity on him. He went to him. He bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. Here's an interesting phrase about money. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. Interesting. He didn't take this man to his home. And I want to just throw this out to something people learn the hard way. Your home where you live is one of God's most important spaces for you. For you to get rest, for you to feed upon him, for you to take care of yourself. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. If you're not taking care of yourself properly, you're going to have struggle loving your neighbor. And I've seen a lot of tragedy through people without a lot of careful prayer and discussion. Just invite people to stay in their home. I'm not talking about a one-night thing. And in the very first few months of my marriage in Mexico City, I made a huge mistake. Just married this woman, brought total, we weren't even living in a home, we are living on the floor in the back of a bookstore, but I met two homeless people, and I just brought them in to live. Eventually, one of them threatened to hire someone to murder my wife. So somehow the Good Samaritan decided not to bring this guy home. Maybe it was too far away anyway. I don't know the full story. Puts him in an inn and puts up some money and says, if it costs more, I'll cover it. One of the main ministries I have now, I know some people don't think it's a ministry, but one of the main ministries I have together with my preaching is releasing and raising finance. And I have the privilege of being involved in seeing millions started very small when I was only 18. And now you can imagine where I am at 75. And the finances, the finances that we see God release to buy that new ship 
about 10 years ago, Lagos Hope. There's a book about it on the book table. And right now, we really would appreciate prayer for our ship ministry. We just have the one ship. It's bigger than the two or three we had in the past all put together. It's called Lagos Hope. And it has room for 400 people to be serving Jesus on that ship. And next January, they're just praying for another 50 or 60 people to join as people come for one or two years and then they go. And some of you may want to pray about involvement with that ship. But the finance we've seen God bring in to keep that ship going around the world. The ship ministry has given the word of God to 100 million people. 30 million have been up the gangway. Even in London and Canary Wharf, Lagos Hope was swamped with thousands of people from all over London. And many of them received the word of God. You can Google our website and find out more about the ship. And so when I read this and see this generosity in this good Samaritan, it ministers to me. And I have the joy of passing that on to business people all over the world. But how did this passage, which I've been reading since my conversion, how did this passage suddenly in my senior years change my life? 30 or 40 years ago, most mission agencies and a majority of churches, their main thing in terms of missions and the gospel, preaching, discipling, church planting, leadership training, all of that kind of thing. Referred to often as proclamation ministry. There were some beautiful exceptions. The Salvation Army. Some mission agencies. But in that big congress in Lausanne, Switzerland in the mid-70s, this was debated. Some of the Latin Americans, other theologians like John Stott, were saying that social action, social concern, what we see here in Luke 10, needs to come together with proclamation. I was there. It did not register. I was so focused. And I had so many challenges, especially to find the finance, to print another 10 million pieces of literature, another 100,000 Bibles, to get the ship uh, filled with fuel. I couldn't imagine starting to get involved in, in all these physical challenges, which I was sympathetic. I was concerned. And I thought other groups, Tear Fund and World Vision, they specialize in this. And I had it categorized. But 10 years ago, reading this passage, other passages, listening to Tony Campalo, listening to Johnny St John Stott, listening to Samuel Escobar of, uh, of Latin America, I realized I had to change. And some of the leaders in our movement, younger men, were ahead of me. Joseph D'Souza, who was destined to lead our work in India, studied this at a Bible college in the Philippines, though he's from India, and began to realize our work, which was growing very big in India, needed to get into social concern and social action, especially concerning the Dalits. Around this time, I was the step out of leadership. So the leaders who were proactive in making this change within OM, which would be huge, they figured Verwer is not going to change. But he's stepping down, so it's no problem. But before I stepped down, I woke up. I woke up, and this marriage took place in my theology, in my life, 
a marriage of proclamation, which I still believe in with all my heart. Winning people to Jesus is still the greatest way to bring about social change. But I brought together this marriage, influenced by the Good Samaritan, of proclamation together with social action, social concern. I've become friends with Patrick Dixon, and his book about AIDS is there on the book table. It's a gift to you. The first service, we had them all on the seats. And he invited me to 20 years ago to speak at a conference dealing with HIV-AIDS in London. And I had to say, Patrick, I'm not worthy to speak at that conference. I don't know hardly anything about HIV-AIDS. I'm not involved in doing it. And he said, well, I want you to come as a motivational speaker. Leave the technicalities to us. So I went to this conference right here in London. All these people working with people who had AIDS. And I began to read Patrick Dixon's book. And I realized God is calling me. God is calling me as an advocate for helping those who have HIV with their physical situation, with their illness, and with the prevention, that's my bigger thing, with the prevention of HIV AIDS. To summarize this, I'll make use of my little card, my business card, and I don't made the mistake of not bringing uh, many of them with me, but I have one here in my Bible that I distribute all over the world, especially I'm sitting on an airplane with someone and I'm trying to get in conversation, excuse me, uh, with that person. And so on the back of this card, I had this vision that God gave me from Luke 10 of seven people laying by the side of the road. And I want to share this with you. And I would, I would beg of you with all my heart, just try to take this in. Maybe in your theology, maybe in your practice, You've already had this marriage. You already are proactive in social action, social concern, HIV, AIDS, the abortion crisis, the things I'm going to talk about. Maybe you've already got that together with proclamation, church planting, world missions. Hallelujah. You're ahead of most people, I can assure you. And so I'd ask you to just listen to this vision God gave me of seven people laying by the side of the road. The first person I see, and each one of these represents millions. The first one I see is children at risk. Just ask yourself, do you have a legitimate compassion for suffering children? Because millions and millions are suffering. One of the things that opened my eyes is I realized within my own family, I soon had three children that I was very holistic. That's a word we use, by the way, for ministry to the whole person, physical as well as spiritual. And I realized that we in OM were very strong on family and the protection of the family and, and keeping the family together and making sure our children get a good education and they have a proper place to live. So really, what I then began to think about globally, it's a big challenge, right? I was already practicing it. It's common sense. It's common sense that we be concerned for people's physical situation. It's amazing how many people get so concerned about their own healing of some illness, and that's okay. And you've seen people heal in this church. But when this, what I call Jesus revolution, comes into our hearts, 
we start getting concerned for people all over the world who are suffering in a much greater level, a much greater level than most of us here in the UK. So there's many, many different ways that people suffer. And some of you are probably suffering in various ways, and I don't want to play that down. And if you send me an email with prayer requests, I read it personally, I answer it personally. If you put your address, I'll send you some books, but I will pray for you. I spent four or five hours, four hours this afternoon just praying for individuals, reading their emails and praying. And so I say that with all my heart. The first person we see laying by the side of the road is children at risk. Children sold into armies like the Lord's, that Lord's army in Kenya and Uganda. Unbelievable that that man is still alive. And even with the special forces of the USA, they have not been able to get a hold of that man who's raped and murdered so many children and brainwashed others to become soldiers at 10, 11, 12 years of age, carrying automatic weapon and killing. I'm sure you follow that in the news. And then all the children sold into the sex traffic industry. Millions of women, young girls, sometimes only six or seven and now in Europe, they want to push legislation. They want to push legislation. I don't believe it will pass. But they want to push legislation that will give pedophiles equal uh, opportunity. Just like the gay marriage thing just went through. Now the next thing they want is the same rights for pedophiles as we've just given to people in the gay world. And I had to tell one of my friends... I don't believe that's going to happen. I have not lost my hope in the Christian values of Europe, which I know are very submerged, but they're still there more than people realize. And I do not believe that will go through. Let's beware as Christians of panicking. And maybe I shouldn't have even mentioned that. But when I think of the sex industry, I can just thank the Lord that in the last couple of years, more advocates have raised up to speak on behalf of children sold into the sex traffic industry, especially girls, than perhaps in the previous 20 years. Things are changing. And one of the reasons is the body of Christ is mobilizing in regard to social issues. The second person I see laying by the side of the road are abused women. One of the books, we probably ran out of it, but I'd happy to send it to you free, is Debbie Maroff's brilliant book called True Grit. I have the privilege of distributing 100,000 copies of that book in many languages. It's the most important book in my life in this decade, changing my whole view of, one, of women, what they're suffering, but also what they're doing. And I'd urge you to study a little more about things like female circumcision, which goes on right here in Great Britain. I think it's now been made illegal. The whole thing of domestic violence, the whole thing of rape, and brothers and sisters, we have to be honest. And I believe God wants us to be honest. The church in the past has not done well in some of these issues. Don't paint a false picture of the church 30 or 40 years ago. That back then they had it all together. They don't have these problems like we have. And today things are so much darker. The devil is uh, a greater power. And it, it looks like it's uh, going to be the end. All through history, the church made up of human beings has made mistakes. Fortunately, sometimes 
they repent and grow and learn. And I believe with all my heart there's a revolution in the body of Christ that's going to impact suffering women, that's going to help many of them come to Jesus after they've gone through so much trauma. And right here in London, there are women suffering. There's major sex traffic industry right here beneath our very eyes. And you will meet some of these women. A church this size will meet women that are dragged into this world. And what a joy it would be to see one of them set free. One of my favorite ministries is the Message Tribe. And Andy Hawthorne up in Manchester. I mean, what they are doing in this holistic ministry community plus proclamation is a story that needs to be told. I preach to their staff every year. Often at night when I'm coming from a meeting, I go through the streets and I see just thousands of young people. As I saw recently in the streets, I think, I guess Newcastle, 11 falling on their faces. Praise God for what these street pastors are doing for these people in these late night things. But I just happened to talk about that in this meeting. And I just said, you know, if any of you are from that background, because I'm always praying for these people, but it's not easy for someone like me to reach out in those situations. But I said, if any of you here came from this background, drugs and alcoholism and binge drinking, boy, I'd love to hear your testimony. Within the next few days, I got an email from a young woman in the meeting. That was her world. That was her world. But she had not yet totally broken from it. I thought this was all staff. Somehow she was there. And as I shared that, that desire, God touched her. And she broke from that world and made the decision to follow Jesus. Probably the most encouraging email I had this year. I pray that she'll never turn back. Women at risk. May we reach out to so many laying, if not physically, spiritually by the side of the road. The third group are the extreme poor, like the Dalits that we've already spoken about. 20% of the world is locked into global, global poverty. I'm going to throw something in here that's a little risky because I believe no matter what work you're doing, it's important with God. Some of you are students. You're preparing uh, for a particular career in a particular area, maybe in the whole area of arts. And I've had a revolution through this change in my life in understanding the place of the arts in God's great program, the place of sports in God's great program, the place of people in the business world in God's great program. Through this revolution in my thinking, nobody is going second class anymore. There's no second class compartment on my train anymore. Everybody's going first class, whether they're working in the city or they're planting churches in Tibet. And I know it's hard for some people to grasp this. At the same time, if you're young and you're planning your career, if this message that I'm trying in much weakness and vulnerability to share with you tonight, if this is real, your thinking on this will come into your planning in regard to your career. Maybe some of you will make a decision to go for a career that more directly, indirectly, every believer will help in what we're talking about tonight. But maybe God will lead some of you into a career in which you're more directly involved with these people laying by the side of the road. And I sure would love to hear from you 
if you go down that road because the need is so huge. And we see God using people working among the poor. We see God using that because people in this world are tired of words. They want to see something of reality. They won't put it in our language, something of Jesus in us. And when we're serving, we're working in an earthquake area as we do. We're working in the flood areas we're doing in India right now. We're working in the back slums of Bombay among the people you saw in Slumdog Millionaire, that brilliant film. It speaks to them. And so people of many backgrounds are saying, this is real. Jesus is alive and well. I want to follow. I want to follow this, this same person that's changed your life. Proclamation and social action, it can come together. And churches, churches are embracing this. I saw this in Liverpool in a church called Frontline years ago. One of the first churches in Britain to move into community action, to be concerned about the problems in the community, to get involved with all kinds of messy, complex people, and learn to love them and care for them. It's a revolution of love. The fourth person I see laying by the side of the road is the person stricken with HIV AIDS, 20, 25 million of them. Of course, if you've got HIV in Great Britain, you get antiretroviral drugs, you can get another 10 or 15 years on your life. But in many poverty-stricken zones, those drugs, though things have changed a lot in five years, those drugs are not always available. More important, this HIV can be prevented through teaching, through spreading truth, like Patrick Dixon's books. And we have a whole movement within OM that's dealing with this issue, and they're seeing breakthroughs. Please at least read that one book. Take some interest. When you hear a message like this, I know it can be overwhelming. Just take what you can. You've already got plenty of challenges, right, in your own life. But take what you can and take some baby steps to be more involved with this whole challenge of HIV, AIDS. And the fifth person I see laying by the side of the road are those that are not able to get this beautiful liquid that I need to take a sip of. Water. I remember speaking at Biola University, this very message. And I could tell that not everybody was awake. And so, <laughs> I poured the water over my head. Boy, it was like revival. <laughs> well, what was that about? Well, he was trying to share the fact that 20% of the people in the world don't have water. They don't have pure water. And in other parts of the world, we waste water as if somehow it was worth nothing at all. I would ask you to pray a big prayer that the governments of the world will be concerned about water and that the big business people like Bill Gates, who with a snap of his finger could build a pipeline from Norway to the starving areas of Africa if they had a vision. But you see, these people generally don't do it unless they see profit. And right now, nobody sees big profit in uh, building pipelines for water to go to poor people. Anyway, it's all overpopulated. What does it matter if another million people die there? It's time for some of us 
to somehow get into the mood that Jesus Christ got into when he walked into that temple and what he saw so grieved him. And today what we're seeing done in the world against the poor, against the downtrodden, against people who are on the fringes of society, somehow it should cause us to rise up and say, that's enough. That's enough. No more. And through Twitter and through Facebook and through prayer and literature and every method, especially film, we can bring a mobilization to try to bring transformation and to resolve some of these things. That's why one of the great global movements today is the transformation movement where people are believing, first of all, the church gets transformed, then the community gets transformed, and then they impact their nation for transformation. I know that's a very high aim, and it needs a lot of balance, especially in countries where the church barely exists. But I'd rather aim high and fail than aim low and be successful. May God give you a passion to do more about the global water crisis. And the sixth person I see laying by the side of the road is the poor one that has never been born. That little baby, supposedly completely safe in the mother's womb, and suddenly it's dead. We read about it in the British press. I hope you read about some of these things. It's incredible what's going on in this country, in this area. I don't think at this stage yet we're going to be able to change legislation, but we can influence, we can pray. And even every baby that's saved simply through education. It's so sad that in this culture, it's not that way in other countries, that in this culture, women do not want to give up their baby uh, for adoption. There are exceptions. They'd rather abort than have the baby adopted. Thousands of people are wanting to adopt babies. They have to go to China. They have to go around the world to adopt babies. Meanwhile, on the same street, a baby is aborted. If this makes any sense to you, maybe you could rebuke me and send me an email about it. And so I'm now outspoken on this subject, and I know I've upset a lot of people but I believe with all my heart, God wants us to share the truth. And that's why I'm trying to give away a million copies of this in 30 languages. And that's why I'm involved big time in the fundraising to make it happen. And then the last person I see by the side of the road as we bring this to a close is not a person. It's Mr. Planet. This is when some of my friends really think I've looped out. George Verwer. That old loudmouth New York City geezer from London. He's now an environmentalist. Well, not quite. I'm not sure what that word means. But I am concerned about the abuse of God's creation. I don't believe it's right. And I thank Jesus that the church of Jesus Christ is beginning to embrace this. A theologian from Sri Lanka, Vinath Ramachandra, wrote a book just on this subject from a theological viewpoint and showed many scriptures that indicate you and I have some responsibility in connection with this planet. It's a tough one. People can get extreme and off balance. But beware of overreacting to extremism and ending up in some kind of deep freeze of dead conservatism. Let's rise up for planet Earth. Let's study it a little more. 
Let's listen a little more. By the way, I found in my own evangelism with this generation of young people, and I still go around speaking at universities, imagine, that when they hear that I'm concerned about this issue, somehow my credibility goes up. If we want to see more people come to Jesus in Europe, our credibility has got to go up. Our credibility has got to go up. And I believe when we take a legitimate interest in the suffering and the poor and the planet, somehow it rings a bell, even in the atheist and the skeptic. Hey, there's something in this Jesus revolution. Maybe I ought to read the New Testament. Maybe I ought to go along there to KT and see what those people are doing all day Sunday with five different services and all kinds of music coming out through the windows. Brothers and sisters, I would ask you not just to be a disciple of Jesus. I know you already are, but I want to ask you tonight, will you be a good Samaritan? Will you embrace, will you embrace social action, social concern, locally and globally? Will you find the joy of releasing the funds that are needed to keep these kind of ministries across the world? We've opened 107 top schools in India for the Dalit children. We're having a struggle just giving them one meal a day. Many schools don't give any food. We saw most of these children have malnutrition. And praise God, one businessman in Canada paid for lunch for an entire year for most of our schools. I think that's over now. We haven't adopted children. And so individuals adopt a child at a very low uh, cost. I've adopted two myself, my wife and I, to somehow be able to get them this education, which is so basic just for survival in that great subcontinent. Let's not be hearers of the word. Let's be doers. And go from here tonight, before you go to bed, spend time in prayer and say, Lord, what changes do you want to make in my life? And this guy at over 60 had the biggest changes in my entire life took place. Then you, you can change. You can be more on the cutting edge. You can be more effective. You can help more people. You can bless more people and be blessed yourself at the same time. Be a good Samaritan in obedience to the word of God. What did Jesus say then to this sharp lawyer who answered the question, who has done something right? And he said, of course, the good Samaritan. And Jesus looked him in the eye and said, go ye and do likewise. And I finish my message tonight with those words from Jesus. Go ye and do likewise. God has people laying on the side of the road around the globe for every one of us here tonight. Go ye and do likewise. God bless you. Amen.